Welcome back to our new student-led IIIW podcast, Sustainably Speaking Beyond the Aula. This second episode of the second season is a knowledge-sharing episode, as it provides you with a deep dive into a crucial topic. In the last episode, we talked about frustration, helplessness and guilt related to eco-anxiety. To shift that now towards action, we will talk today about the framework of the Inner Development Goals, from here on IDGs. The missing dimension of sustainability, a window of opportunity for change, and a narrative shift. On all these things we will touch upon today. After listening to this podcast, you got answers to the following questions. What are the IDGs? How are they related to the environmental sustainability transformation? And how can they be used by individuals, businesses and politics? To answer these guiding questions, I am extremely delighted to welcome today the two guests for this episode, Gustav Osberg, a doctoral researcher at the Institute who has been doing research about the IDGs, and also Björn Schulz, one of my fellow students from the Environmental Management and Policy Master here at the Institute at Lund University. Would you like to briefly introduce yourselves? Yes, sure. Thank you for having me. I'm a first-year PhD student here at the Institute. Um, before that, I was a project assistant at Luxus under Christine Wamsler on a project called this Contemplative Sustainable Futures. And there we uh, did research on a topic we called the inner dimension to sustainability. Our research there has fed into the inner development goals, which uh, I guess is the reason why I'm here today. Right now, I'm doing research on the topic of regional collaboration. So how to mobilize different actors within a region to act for a common sustainability-related goal. And I very much bring this kind of inner dimension perspective into this topic of collaboration as well. Yeah, I'm Björn Schulz. I'm studying also with Marlene, the EMP program. We're in batch 29, and uh, I have a degree in political science and philosophy, but I also work with mindfulness a lot, also in the context of climate activism and just personal development. Cool. And maybe I also quickly introduce myself. I'm your host today, Marlene from Germany. I did a bachelor's in business administration and I also have work experience in corporate strategic controlling. Yeah, before we want to jump in the more discussion setting, a quick recap of what the IDGs are in general. As you might have heard, the UN established the so-called SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, in 2015, with the aim to have a comprehensive plan for a sustainable world by 2030. However, progress is too slow, and this is where the IDGs step in. Developed through a collective intelligence with 4,000 plus scientists, experts and practitioners, the IDG framework lays out the inner capabilities qualities and skills needed to accelerate work towards the UN SDGs. It is also important to highlight here that it is not a UN initiative, but rather a non-profit and open source initiative that really tries to inspire and empower people to be a positive force for change in society. Björn, could you give us a brief recap of the framework itself? Sure. So in 2021, the first IDG report was published and it explains the background, the methods and the framework with five dimensions and 23 so-called transformational skills. And when you look at the, the website of the IDG, they have a really nice color 
boxes, five of them. And the first is called being. So the relationship to yourself, your inner compass, your self-awareness. And the second one is called thinking. So talks about your cognitive skills, your critical thinking, your complexity awareness. Then the, the third box is called relating. So caring for others and the world, your appreciation, your empathy, but also your compassion. The fourth one is collaboration, your social skills, communication skills and trust, for example. And the last one is called acting. So how you drive change with courage, but also optimism. This whole framework is not set in stone. In fact, the IDG team is doing a, a second round soon with consultation, more with a global um, audience and to refine the framework further. Cool. Thank you, Björn. And Gustav, taking your research experience into account, how would you summarize the framework? So the clear structure is that change starts from within. Then addressing how we need to develop our thinking, connect and relate to others, collaborate and finally act. This in parts is nothing new. It's been discussed in multiple disciplines and it's very much what the IDD draws on. Um, adult development theory, behavioral economics, social psychology. It's a lot of different disciplines that goes into this framework. I think what is different is that and powerful in itself is that how uh, the parts are put together in a very easy to understand and easy to use framework. I, I'm usually quite cautious with, you know, saying that it's not an academic or scientific framework in itself. It's more of a communication tool, which aims to kind of promote the development of these different dimensions. And I mean, they've been very successful in, in kind of conveying the message through the framework. The day I arrived at the Institute, I think two people asked me about the IDGs. Even though I have not myself worked with the IDG team, it's more that, you know, the, our work has been incorporated into the framework. So uh, my name was quickly associated with the IDGs, even though my research is much broader. But it's obviously a very accessible and easily graspable tool. I mean, it's so cool to hear that it's already gained popularity and people are asking you about it. And now that we know about the framework, the question in this podcast is really... How does this framework or the IDGs relate to environmental sustainability transformation? What is your take on that, Björn? Yeah, I think that's a core question that probably puzzles all of us as people working in sustainability, but also studying sustainability. Like we have these big IPCC reports. We have so much knowledge about the climate crisis. We have advancing technologies. We have stuff like carbon capture. And we also have... A recent urgency, there is a new report that was published in Nature a few weeks ago that we actually have just the carbon budget and the 1.5 degree limit that only reaches until 2029. So we have, I think, a lot of knowledge, but the bridging from the knowledge to the action is kind of missing. And I think there the, the IDGs can help with that. In your research, Gustav, you often describe the IDGs as kind of the missing dimension of sustainability Could you explain this to us? Yeah, so I think this is a very important way to think about the framework and the field in itself, that we're not arguing that this is the, a panacea for all our problems, that we still need to consider these different aspects, but we have somehow overlooked the human and our, our inner world, that dimension to the sustainability transitions. So that said, I think it's one missing but interrelated dimension to other complicated manners such as uh, climate justice and power inequalities and vested interests, for example. 
I think this also perfectly uh, relates to also older concepts and frameworks that I think the IDGs also refer to. And one of them, for example, is the 12 leverage points from Donella Meadows. And maybe you know her as the scientist and system analyst who studied the limits to growth in the 70s. Um, but later she developed this kind of uh, leverage system and she defined low leverage points and high leverage points. And for example, they can accelerate or balance feedback in a system and, but also like tweaking technological solutions or economic incentives. But when we just look at these lower leverage points, they will not probably be the source of any intention bent of a trend. So this requires more deeper repurposing on the levels of imaginary or sociocultural belief systems. And actually, when we look at these draft leverage points, the top one is changing mindset. So it's one of the deepest leverage points when trying to change a system. And at the same time, as also one of the most difficult undertakings, I think. And um, I think ending on a more optimistic note, Meadows also wrote that many individuals, and actually the change research suggests about 60% of people in the system, are open-minded and actually willing to learn. Great. So when we really want to now bring the mind and climate change kind of together, how are they related and How can our mind contribute to the transformation towards sustainability? Gustav? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> big question, right? But uh, so maybe we can start to think about how our inner lives are connected with the outer world. So in one sense, climate change and other sustainability challenges can be understood as a subconscious outcome of the way we live, uh, an unintended consequence or a visible manifestation of the life that our minds have created. Uh, but on the other hand, the world around us continually and subconsciously shape uh, our understanding of the world and the way we think it works. So, I mean, one example of this could be uh, when we talk about the kind of current culture we have, uh, mainly in the global north, that it's very much built around values or paradigms based on materialism, uh, possessive individualism and competition, which, of course, will lead to mass consumerism. Because it's through these values or paradigms that people attach meaning to, to, for example, the act of shopping and owning stuff. So now to a degree which where we see that is causing all of these environmental and social consequences. On the other hand, I mean, if we could shift this situation, then we could maybe see that a shift in our collective mindsets could also be a huge driver for sustainability transformations. Thank you, Gustav. I really like that change narrative. Our mind has been the rooted course of climate change and Shifting our mindset can be one of the important answers to it. And at the end, Albert Einstein already said, we can't solve the problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. Shifting to our next section, we really want to look at the practice of the IDGs and which kind of tools are already used right now. And we want to do that by looking at it from different levels. First, the personal and group growth. Then we look at the business and leadership side and we end everything with a policy view. Björn, as you are kind of our group expert in self-reflection, could you give us some practical examples on the level of personal and group growth and maybe also how we use it at the moment at the Institute? Sure. So um, one of my favorite exercises at the INSTI that we do with our batch is the so-called reflection session. And we uh, gather every three or four weeks at the INSTI. And we like around 15 to 20 people. And we ask ourselves a very basic question. 
how are you? And we try to uh, speak from experience, how we are feeling at the moment. We avoid theoretical discussions. We rather use I than you or I feel than I think. And we try to practice deep listening. And this is kind of a concept and also the whole reflection session is borrowed from a engaged Buddhism in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. And the tradition says that no matter what we say, it will not be mindful because we were speaking only our own ideas and not in response to the other person. So I think actually in like nowadays with a lot of social media, Instagram and our attention economy, it's a really nice space where we actually can like set everything aside and try to really listen what the person is talking about, but also what is not there in the room. And uh, he also says, and that's a nice quote, a few dozen people practicing mindfulness together can create a very powerful collective energy. It's so much more than just one person to do it on, on their own. And I, I think I agree because when we just like in our own little rooms, maybe this collective agency really can't evolve from that. And also in light of, I think, the first episode about eco-anxiety, I think it's a good space to reflect actually on how it is to be a human um, studying sustainability and like reading all these reports and kind of this very grim future that lies ahead of us and from more increased climate conflicts to an eventual collapse of civilization. So we practice this in the PIES model and it's an acronym for physical, intellectual, emotional and spiritual. So with this exercise, we can actually train empathy and this is scientifically proven also neuroscience and psychology with the so-called neuroplasticity. Uh, we also get the feedback from teachers, but also the community at the NC that this really changed how we treat ourselves within the batch, but also our personal life. Yeah, that's really, that's really nice. I mean, in our research and especially uh, my work with Christine, she usually talks about these three relationships that we need to nurture and uh, consider more. And those are the relationship to yourself, to others and to nature. And we can really see in these exercises that you're kind of fostering the three of them. So it's very nice to see. And I also recommend to the listeners to check out the IDG toolbox, which is a very kind of accessible collection of exercises, tools you can use to develop these different capacities and qualities that are mentioned in the framework. So, I mean, to mention two, for example, there's one called nonviolent communication, which is, of course, not something it's been around for quite a while. And I think that connects quite well with what Björn spoke about the intentional listening and active listening where you try to understand not just what is said on an information level, but also kind of emotions and needs are expressed with the intention to understand, not only to respond and so on. And then there's also, for example, compassion training, which is also kind of sourced from Buddhist teachings where um, you sit down and do this mindfulness or meditation exercise and you try to actively expand your circles of compassion, starting with yourself, being kind to yourself and forgiving, and then expanding those care to the people around you, to your organization, to your society, to eventually the whole world, basically. Great. Thanks so much for this insightful recap. This already brings us to the second level that we look on today, and that is more the business and leadership side. And for me personally, the importance of frameworks like the IDGs really became prominent in my internship last summer in a consultancy. And there I really realized that 
all our environmental impact assessments, strategic choices are actually really small steps compared to the structured change management that is needed in organizations to allow the implementation of these measures and also foster the ambitious transformation. And as organizations are the sum of its people, it is really plausible that key drivers of change management obviously are leader enablement and people engagement, something that the IDGs are really valuable for. And if we are able to shift the current barriers that we see right now, like silo thinking or selfishness or distrust towards more fruitful characteristics, such as collaboration or empathy or trust, we could really establish an organization where people hold together and kind of face the change with curiosity together. And this somehow would open a window of opportunity for change. I, I, I like that that you see it kind of open your mindset, open a window. And some leaders also have described the biggest value of IDGs as being the foundation for a narrative shift within the organization. So I'm, I'm wondering, Marlene, do you know any concrete examples how companies already use the IDGs? Yeah, so examples are more and more coming up. For example, IKEA, they have developed learning objectives within their flagship leadership program that speak to the IDG transformative skills model. And also Google, they organized a three days IDG lab with selected experts in this field. And now they try to identify how to practically support their team to develop the selected competencies. And maybe broader, I think in general, it can be said that business leaders really like holistic frameworks, frameworks that give them actionable insights. And somehow the outreach strategy, I think, of the IDGs and the style really seems to be appealing for businesses. And thereby, I really think that they reach their goal of raising awareness for the topic. And one Google leader also said, I also like the framework as it really helps me to explain things. And at the end, if the IDGs are successful in doing that, it's really a potential application in business. So after this brief IDG business recap, I would like to shift over to you again, Gustav, for our last practical area, which is policy. How do you think IDGs influence policymaking and what would be some concrete examples on that? Uh, one way we've written about policy in relation to the um, perspective that the IDG represents is through the concept of mainstreaming. And this is something that Christina worked more with than I have, but we wrote one article together where we tried to kind of use this framework or compare how uh, a similar approach could be taken to the kind of inner perspective. Well, mainstreaming is basically what we've already done with, uh, for example, gender issues and sustainability issues. So now when uh, companies or organizations plan or execute or try to formulate goals and visions and action plans, they, they usually consider these type of issues such as the SDGs or gender issues. So we argue that the same kind of process has to be made with the inner perspective. I mean, that requires the systematic revision of organization vision statements, the theories of change, communication, project management tools, working structures. I mean, everything basically. It's basically about uh, considering these trainable inner capacities such as the IDGs. Uh, but to get a bit more concrete, I mean, maybe you could talk about, for example, in education, there could be more policy support for sustainability education that balances knowledge development and professional skills with the cultivation of inner human qualities and capacities. And I mean, in, in Sweden, we have this parallel 
folk high school system, Folkhögskola, which is a type of adult education institution, with one of its mission being to foster this lifelong learning, as we call it today. So this is a very good example. Unfortunately, it's being subject to deep cuts and austerity measures right now, but uh, I think this is kind of one good example of an institution that fosters this kind of learning. But then you also have, you know, mindfulness training, and uh, you're already doing it kind of informally, but uh, we argue that that could be more integrated into... um, education at different levels and not only as a way to support well-being but also as a method of learning as a way to process information beyond the intellectual level i mean related to this you have leadership trainings for example we soon have an article coming out which kind of explores the outcomes of a global leadership program that really integrates this inner development perspective and member stairs included uh, people from the european commission The findings there were very promising and really hope that this type of trainings could receive more policy support as well so more people and organizations can access them. Yeah, what else? I mean, we have health, for example. We have a growing situation, uh, almost crisis with uh, climate anxiety and green uh, or climate emotions such as grief or climate anxiety, hopelessness. I mean, this Tuesday, (laughs) me and Franz, also from the Institute, we held a presentation for... um, university chaplain uh, conference where the purpose of the conference was to kind of talk more about climate anxiety and I mean these university chaplains they basically their job is to meet students and counsel them and they've noticed that there's a rising problem with climate anxiety so we can really see that more support is needed to to address this kind of growing concern and I mean finally of course research I know that when I first found uh, Christine's research, which was very like novel in actually bringing this perspective inside the walls of academia, it was very hard for her to get funding for it. And now it's growing quite a lot, but I mean, more funding for this kind of critical interdisciplinary research on the development and implementation of more integrative approaches uh, that links these inner and outer perspectives. So that's some common kind of uh, topics that one could think about. But um, I think overall, I mean, there's a way we kind of have to rethink how we do policy as well. There's other proposals that you can take, for example, a universal basic income. What would happen if we just introduce something like that, work time reductions, without also considering this kind of needed cultural shift as well, if it would actually lead to kind of outcomes we we hope for, if we don't also address the inner dimensions. Cool, thank you so much. I mean, mainstreaming education, research that are really, really cool practical examples for, for the IDGs. And... Maybe we can now shift more towards a more critical lens on it, considering the feedback you received during your research and also your your personal conclusions. What would be the current critics against IDGs? Yeah, I mean, uh, getting these papers for peer review can be quite the challenge. And uh, we've gotten all kinds of comments and feedbacks and criticisms and uh, Everything from, you know, the kind of typical interdisciplinary dilemma that you're kind of infringing on other people's fields. And they're saying, but this is, wait a minute, this is basically just psychology, but you're not doing it properly. So that, I mean, that's one part, but I think that's just interdisciplinarity in general. Uh, And then you also have this critique, which many people call methodological individualism, which is basically this assumption that change comes from the individual and then you kind of ignore these structural factors. But then again, I think it's important to remember that, you know, as we introduced in the episode, this is a missing dimension. This is not the panacea. It's just one part of the bigger puzzle. 
And if, if you look at the IPCC mitigation report, the concept of inner transition is mentioned in the chapter, accelerating the transition in the context of sustainable development. So I think this is one way to look at it, right? That uh, it's a kind of mobilizing factor, for example. And I mean, another way, I think it can be hard for people to overcome this dichotomy between inner and outer and individual versus system or, you know, agency and structure. But what we try to do in, or at least in my understanding, is that we try to shake up this dichotomy that we don't try to think in these dualisms. So, I mean, if you think about a system, that the system are people, basically, and the structures and organizations that we create. So, um, I mean, and this you can relate back to what Bjorn said about the, the leverage point system. Raising awareness that we're actually in a system with, with operating paradigms is one way to uh, change it, basically. So, um, that's another thing. And I... I mean, as always, we need to be humble that we don't have all the answers. This is a very novel field and we're kind of trying to explore it and see what, what comes out of it. But I've noticed it resonates quite a lot with people and it's being picked up. I mean, you can see with the IDGs, it's gaining popularity. And I think this is because it kind of resonates with people and people feel that this is a missing dimension. Franz and I, Franz from, also from the Institute and I, we wrote an opinion piece in Sydsvenskan, the kind of uh, biggest newspaper in Skåne region here in Sweden where we talked about the inner sustainability aspect as a kind of, you know, overlooked dimension, the classic way to framing it. But we got a lot of nice feedback from people writing to us saying that, oh, it's a very inspiring piece and this is really something that I feel has been missing. And so it's it's really nice to see that it resonates with people. I'm kind of going in towards more the positive things, but I uh, think that kind of had to contextualize it and see see it for what it is. Yeah, thank you, Gustav. Björn, do you have anything to add on that from the critique side? Yeah, I think one critique point would be that the framework is kind of very inspired and uh, framed from the global north side. So, yeah, I think one reflection could be that the mindset of the global north has been the one which contributed the most to our current situation is also really reflected in the IDGs at the current moment. And that's not reflecting kind of the the collected responsibility we have as a global north so i think we should also change the first and we also definitely have a privilege that we have kind of the capacity to talk about in a development whereas maybe others in the global south have to put their full energy to ensure their daily survival but i think with the second revision in 2024 they will also consult more people and maybe the global south perspective will also be more incorporated in the idgs A second point I would say is that, and I've heard it also in the last days, that the IDGs are merely like a collection of known soft skills. So we heard it from Gustav, like uh, nonviolent communication, for example. And I, I think that's also a valid point. But I think as we saw today, it really depends on how you use the IDGs. Is it an academic framework? Is it a communication tool? Is it a tool for changing whole organizations? That's the other question, I guess. And I think also the IDGs are not inventing anything new. They just try to bring awareness to what is already happening and bringing this missing dimension into the puzzle. And it's definitely not. And that's my opinion that offices incorporate like a mindfulness Monday or once a month they go into the forest with the, with the office people. I think it's kind of a, a part of systematic change of technology, of academia, of new research, of activism, of civil disobedience, but also bring this missing dimension into into like a more holistic framework of bringing radical change. 
it really feels that we could talk about this interesting framework for hours. But for today, we unfortunately have to close the session. And as some closing remarks, we can conclude that the IDG framework really has potential and can be valuable to raise awareness for inner development as a missing dimension of sustainability. What we know for sure is that the coming decades will involve significant change and achieving a sustainable transformation unfortunately doesn't have any quick fixes or silver bullets. To navigate this journey together, let's focus on collaboration, on empathy for everyone around us and appreciation for the different realities that we do live in. The IDGs could serve as one of the frameworks to facilitate this. To close it for today, I really want to thank you, Gustav and Björn. It has been a huge pleasure to have you here in the podcast. For our listeners, we hope that you all got some inspiration from this episode. You can also find some further material in the show notes. And until next time. Mm -hmm.